Hello everyone and looking forward to another message in our continuing study through the Gospel of John. I'm Colin and today we're in chapter 3 where Jesus compares the spirit of life to the wind, moving freely, lightly, and without forced rules or regulations. Now does that sound like your Christian life? Or could in fact the opposite be true? Maybe your life feels rigid, empty and constrained. Well today Pastor Char tells us a life in the spirit brings freedom and fullness to our Christian walk. It is not something we do, but something God does to and in us. Pastor Charles says, as we invite Jesus' sacrificial love into our lives, we in turn discover the freedom the spirit-filled life brings. So let's open our Bibles to John chapter 3 for a message we're calling, Everyone Who is Born of the Spirit. But I think it's good, as I often like to do, to remind ourselves of the theme and purpose of this gospel. And that purpose statement comes near the end of this book. John writes this. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, but they are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, I think that this statement is so very helpful to understand what this book is about, what it's for. John's clear, this isn't a biography, this is an exhaustive account of the life and works of Jesus, but John has hand Picked. He has curated these stories that we might believe, that we might trust, that we might see Jesus for who he is, and that by believing, by trusting, by centering our life in Jesus, we might experience a quality of life, which John calls life in his name, in his person. Now, I've said this each time I've taught, but I think that this is a very interesting statement because John connects what we believe, what we trust in, what we center our lives around to the quality of life that we experience. Because each of us is believing in something. We're trusting in something or someone, and that belief, that trust is taking us somewhere taking us either further into life or further into death now and forever. And so John's gospel and this purpose statement, I think it gives the church, it gives the individual reader this opportunity to ask again and again and again, which is so important for us to do, am I really living? Am I experiencing a kind of love, hope, and peace that I can commend to others. Do I have life in Jesus' name? And so our hope and prayer is, is as we come again and again to this book and we read these Jesus stories, we hear John's explanation of what this meant, that we would ask these heart-searching questions and that we would experience life in the name of Jesus. Now, one of the reasons I love the Gospel of John so much is because we get to see and hear Jesus in these private conversations with others. We get, as it were, like a front row seat to observe the Almighty God as he stoops 
taking on human flesh and blood to walk and talk with humans in their searching and their wrestlings of life's biggest questions. And I believe that John chapter 3 begins to deal with this issue of the powerlessness of religious systems and even human effort to give us that quality and freedom of life that we long for. Life in and by the Spirit of God. So in John chapter 3, we are introduced to this character, Nicodemus. And we know from the text that he is a Pharisee and that Jesus refers to him as the teacher of Israel. Now, for those of you that might not know, the Pharisees were a religious sect of the Jewish faith. And they sought to bring the whole nation into strict adherence to the law of Moses, specifically by keeping the instructions that were given to the priesthood. See, they saw themselves as these kind of covenant gatekeepers of Israel. And some believed that if the nation of Israel could walk in all the righteousness of the law, then Messiah would come, God's or excuse me, Israel would triumph over their enemies and the kingdom of God, which is God's rule and reign over the nations, would be established. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up in church and hearing different Bible studies about John 3, I feel like Nicodemus gets a bad rap. Anybody with me on that? Like, what a dummy. Come on. <laughs> Try to keep the law. <laughs> I think he gets a bad rap because we often think of the law as being negative in contrast with the grace of God offered us in Christ. Remember John in chapter one, he tells us, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. And then he says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We juxtapose those two. That's not what John's doing. Listen to what he said. Grace in place of grace already given. John sees the law of Moses as a grace. This came out of God's heart and goodness and love for the Jewish people, for the nations, for the redemption of the world. So when we come to Nicodemus, he is actually an example of the best the nation of Israel has to offer. And I believe that is why John has included him in his retelling of the story of Jesus. See, he's an example of a very good person, a very sincere and righteous person who is still empty. He knows deep down that his, all his religious zeal, all his good doing are not enough, and he's still seeking and looking for life. So he begins the conversation with Jesus, and he affirms his respect and appreciation of Jesus. Well, we know that you come from God, for no one can do the works, the signs that you do unless God has sent him. But Jesus cuts right to the heart of what Nicodemus is actually after, and he says this, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Anybody ever read this and be like, whoa, Jesus, like what are you doing right now? Like that's not even what he said. 
That's not what he's talking about. It seems so random and off topic, but notice Nicodemus jumps right on it. It seems that Jesus is honing in and discerning the true heartache and longing of this religious teacher of Israel. Now, this back and forth ensues between Nicodemus and Jesus, where Nicodemus asks these rhetorical questions. And again, some see these as snarky and dismissive. But I read them as him being bewildered and frustrated. How can somebody be born again? Like, we just throw this term around. Like, you saved? You born again? You good? Like, we just say this stuff, but sometimes, we're, what do we actually mean? We mean that human beings can change. It doesn't come about by entering again into their mother's womb. I think what Nicodemus is saying, I've tried it all. I've taken every spiritual discipline. I've gone in almost every direction that you possibly can. I've done the whole gambit, and I just don't get it, Jesus. Now, Jesus' answer is interesting. Partaking of God's kingdom, being born again, being a member of God's family, entering into the kingdom is not something that you and I do or something that we accomplish. Jesus says this, flesh gives birth to flesh. In other words, human effort produces human results. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to life in the Spirit. See, when the divine gives birth, it creates life in quality and in quantity. Of course, there's nothing wrong with human effort. But as we've said before in previous studies, the human condition is in such dire need that nothing possible, nothing strictly human can save us. Our salvation, our hope, the hope of the world must come from outside of us by a supreme act of grace. Jesus says that we must be born from above, born by water and the Spirit, for it is the Holy Spirit who gives birth to life in the Spirit. Now, okay, Char, all that Spirit, born, born, Spirit, above, born this way, born that way, what is all this mumbo-jumbo? What does this even mean? What does it mean to be born of the water and of the Spirit? Well, Jesus is referring to what the prophet Ezekiel recorded in chapter 36 of his prophetic vision. If you take notes or if you like to write stuff down in your Bible, you can turn to Ezekiel 36 and you can read this with me. Verses 24 through 28. God says, For I will take you out of the nation, speaking to Israel. I will gather you from all the countries and I will bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land that I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. This is the birth of water and spirit, the being born from above that Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus about. Just notice for a minute in this passage that the focus is on what God does. It is a work that he's doing, and it's a work really that only he can do. Ezekiel records eight times that God will do something to and in humans, and only once mentions what humans do in response. Just real quick. I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and keep my laws. And then finally, you will live in the land. You will be mine. And the last, I will be your God. The focus is on what God is doing. He is the one bringing this work of transformation. See, the work that God does in human beings, what we call new birth, being born again or regeneration, is a deep work where humans receive a whole new operating system. No longer identified by our sin and uncleanness, as it says here in the text, but, and the, maybe even the various masks of justification or condemnation that we hide behind. We have a new identity. We are God's people. We are his prized possession. We belong to him. No longer governed by a heart of stone. What is that? Well, obstinance, pride, ignorance, carelessness, and cruelty. No, now we have a new heart, one that is fleshy, it feels, it's pained. It's, you know, it's like the Grinch, remember? He had a heart with 10 t sizes too small. You guys remember the story? The Grinch who stole Christmas. And in the end, his heart begins to beat. It's a fleshy heart, it's a heart that feels, it's tender, it's compassionate, it's loving and forgiving. No longer under our own direction of what we think is right and wrong, good and beautiful, true and false, but now, what does it say? Under the direction of God. I love this line. Every time I read it, I'm like, wow, how powerful. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. It's interesting that Jesus will talk about someone who is spirit-filled being moved like the wind. We'll get there in a minute. But moved to follow God's decrees. Under the direction of the Holy Spirit, able to discern all things correctly. Jesus likens this life of living in the Spirit as being like the wind. Now, again, some of us probably have read this passage before and like, I'm following, I'm following, I'm not following, I'm not following, I'm following. I'm like, Jesus is all over the place in this conversation with Nicodemus. Listen to what he says here. He's like, oh, born again, born from above, born of water and the spirit. You know what? 
The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. You know, just in my imagination, I picture Jesus and Nicodemus sitting alone outside, maybe on a rooftop. And as they're talking about these things, the wind begins to blow. And Jesus turns Nicodemus' attention to this moment to say, you know what, Nicodemus? This is what everyone who is born of the Spirit is like. They're like this blowing wind. And Nicodemus' response is, how can this be? How can this be? Or I like how the New Living Translation puts it. How are these things possible? You hear the despair in that? How? How are these things possible? In summary, Jesus tells Nicodemus that all of this comes by or through the lifting up of the Son of Man. That messianic character who inherits the kingdom, the power and the glory there in Daniel. He will be lifted up, not in glory. No, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. This is a reference to Jesus' own death where he will be lifted up on a cross in an act of radical, sacrificial, self-giving love in order to save humanity from sin and its destruction and in order to bring us into the life that God has always meant for us. Nicodemus, this is how it comes about. But I wonder this morning if any of us feel like Nicodemus, asking something similar about life in the Holy Spirit. How are these things possible? Maybe your Christian experience doesn't sound at all like what Jesus describes here or what I've been talking about. Maybe it sounds great, but for you, for your experiences, for your Christian journey, maturity, maybe it's been extremely rigid It doesn't feel full or free. It feels strained. It's not life-giving. It's soul-sucking. And maybe like Nicodemus, you are continuing to search it out. It's even why you're here this morning. Because you're like that man in the Gospels, Lord, I believe but I need you to help my unbelief. Lord, I'm coming to you with my confusion. I'm coming to you with my heart longings and searchings. So how does one experience this freedom of life in the spirit? And what does it actually look like? Well, I wanna talk first about what it looks like. And I love Jesus' description of someone who is born of the spirit. They are like the wind that blows wherever it wishes. When I read that, it sounds so freeing. It sounds so natural. It sounds beautiful. It reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty. 30. 
Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This description of life in the Spirit being like somebody who is just blown by the wind, there is this ease. There is this beautiful, almost dance-like nature to it. That's what I hear in what Jesus is saying. But oftentimes, our spiritual gift survey test, our songs of being begged to be filled with the Spirit don't seem to line up with what Jesus says here. Sometimes, we make the Christian experience sound very up and down, don't we? Hot one minute, cold the next, 100 miles an hour, we're doing an about face and recommitting our lives to Jesus and asking for the Holy Spirit to fall upon us just one more time. I think it is essential to remember that John has already told us that Jesus is the one on whom the Spirit of God remains and he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So if we want to know what life in the Spirit looks like, we need to start with Jesus. And John's Jesus strikes me as incredibly relational and humanizing. Not human. Mark talks about that. Luke talks about that. But relational and humanizing. What do I mean? In this gospel, Jesus is connecting with people across the spectrum. Not one story or character is alike. You might notice reading this gospel that Jesus doesn't have the same conversation twice. And each individual that he encounters is taken as they are and met in their deep heart longings, in their need. Everyone from Nicodemus to the woman at the well to the man born blind. Jesus talks with each one differently, serves each one uniquely. I just often go to Mary and Martha. Jesus comes, Lazarus has been dead four days, both of them are mourning. To Martha, he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and, your, and the life. Your brother will rise again. Do you believe this? Like, it's almost like Jesus is like just putting his hands on her shoulder. Martha, look into my eyes. I am your hope. Amazing conversation that he has with her. And then he, you know, walks down the street, finds Mary, and what does he do? Is there a speech? What, come on, people, what does he do? Thank you, mother. He weeps. She's always good for it. He weeps. Jesus himself is the answer to each individual, to their longings. And yet the way he approaches their need, their confusion, their pain is vastly different. Can I just say, Jesus is whimsical in this gospel. He is like one who is blown by the wind. One moment he won't go to the feast, the next minute he goes. Jesus' ministry 
is like a blowing wind in this gospel. And through this narrative, John is showing us what it means to operate under the control of the Holy Spirit. There isn't a rule book or law that Jesus is operating under. Remember what he says. He does what he has seen the Father do. He has been taught by the Father. He does what always pleases the Father. What is Jesus speaking out of? A deep connection and relationship with the Father. I have seen the Father do this. I have been instructed by the Father to do this. And so I live in a way that only pleases the Father. Jesus doesn't constantly go back to his notes in order to find out what to do. There is this incredible confidence in how Jesus lives his life, operating in this grace and truth. There is an incredible freedom as he moves from one person and situation to another. Now, I know that we are a Bible movement, and that is a beautiful thing. And we will never get beyond the Bible, but the Bible is a foundation so that we can live godly in Christ Jesus. Or listen to what Paul says, for the end of the commandment, or the purpose of the commandment is what? Love from a pure heart. And I truly believe that many times in church, we have missed the point. The point is not to be Bible people. The point is to be Jesus people. The point is to be people who love from a pure heart. And if all your Bible study isn't producing that in you, guess what? You are not living life in the Spirit. You are living by the dead letter of the law. You are not like one who is blown by the wind. You do not experience freedom in Christ Jesus. And how I am in pain for those of you who live this way, who think this is what Jesus brought us to bring. No, that's just more law. That's just the old way. But remember, where grace was given, more grace has come. What is the more? This incredible freedom to build upon this foundation of God's story. I'll quote this at the very end, but Paul in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, what Paul is really saying is, now in view of the gospel, what God has done, live. You have the spirit of God. Begin to discover as you commit yourself to God each and every day and all the things in your life, commit yourself to him and you will discover what God's will is, what his perfect will is. What is Paul saying? As the Spirit of God works in you, write the next chapters of the story of God in the world. That is incredible freedom that God is giving us. Augustine put it this way, love God and do what you want. This is the end of the commandment, love from a pure heart. See, the life in the spirit, it's a freedom and quality of life that cannot come from learning alone. 
It cannot come from religious observance by itself. It cannot come from human effort without God's power. All of these are important. But first and foremost, it is something that is done to us and in us by God's spirit. We are given new life, new hearts, new spirit. And then as we continually learn, observe, and obey, we cooperate with the spirit of God. Christ is formed in us. And we enjoy a freedom and fullness of life. Now the question is, are we? Do we have this? Are you experiencing life, let me put it like this, in a Jesus type of way? When you read the Gospels, I'm not saying, are you perfect like Jesus? No, of course not. Does your life, your priorities, your values, your posture, your tone, your way with people, the choices you make, does it line up with where Jesus is going? Does it look like Jesus? And what if it doesn't, what then? See, oftentimes I think when we have a vision of what life is meant to look like, especially a philosophy of life, and our lives don't line up, we experience disillusionment. And in those moments of disillusionment, we begin to question, we can begin to doubt. At best, my disillusionment and searching questions might reveal that I am false. And what I mean by that is I have not truly experienced the work of God's spirit in my life. That's at best. At worst, I might conclude that faith or belief in Jesus, life in his name, is false. Anybody ever have those wrestlings? Like, I hear it preached, I see it in scripture, and yet my life, I just, how can these things be? And so maybe I'm not saved, and so I go down to the front, I get baptized again, I get baptized at the Jordan River, because maybe that'll do it. But what if there is actually a third option? What if I am approaching life in Jesus' name, life in the spirit, all wrong? Well, what do I mean by that? I believe that what we see displayed in John's gospel is that Jesus operates under the principle of love. Sacrificial, self-giving love. Remember, when we began our studies in John, we pointed out that it is because of the great love of God, this deferring love, this preferential treatment of the other, this adoring and honoring of the other, Father, Son, and Spirit, that the Godhead pours this life into the world in order both to create and also to redeem humanity. It is because of the great love of God that Jesus Christ has come into the world to bring us back into the love of God. Jesus has just told Nicodemus that this work of being born of the Spirit, of being led by the Spirit, only comes through believing in, trusting in, centering your life around the lifted up Son of Man. 
The lifting up of the Son of Man is the supreme act of sacrificial, self-giving love in the Bible. See how God loves? Look at the cross. Know what God's character is like? Look at the cross. This is the supreme act of sacrificial, self-giving love. Here is love that Christ Jesus gave himself for us to deliver us from sin and its bondage in order to bring us into eternal life, life in the spirit. See, church, we are being invited to make this act of love our operating principle. And in this way, we discover the freedom of life in the spirit. I remember years ago listening to a teaching that my grandpa did, probably here on this platform, and he would talk about how God's word is this dynamic, creating power. He just said, where God's, the divine gives birth, you have divine life. And he talked about how God's word goes deep into us and it creates. But I think he's onto something when he's talking about God's word going into us. It's almost like this seed. It needs to be cultivated. And it needs to be watered. It needs to be fertilized. And the way that we do that is by letting this supreme, sacrificial, self-giving act of love being the operating system of our lives. As we go through life and take that posture of Jesus, sacrificial, self-giving love in any and every opportunity we have, the Spirit of God grows in us. The freedom of life in the Spirit grows. God's Spirit takes over my nature and makes me something that I was not, something that I am not in and of myself. He forms Christ in me. And as Christ is formed in me, guess what? The freedom with which Christ Jesus operated grows in me. The fullness out of which Christ Jesus operated grows in me. So church, let the lifting up of the Son of Man for you, for us, become the sacrificial, self-giving principle of love that you operate by. And you will begin to discover this freedom of life in the Spirit. This is exactly what Paul is getting at in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And I said I was going to go there, so here we go, right? This is from the message. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you, that's the cross, the lifting up of the Son of Man, is the best thing you can do for Him. It's not just Christ exemplar, right? It's not just, or excuse me, it's not just Christus Victor, it's not just, you know, substitutionary atonement, it's also Christ exemplar. Got it. There it is. 
He is this example that we are to follow. Goes on, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Wow, what an incredible offer. And this comes through the lifting up of the Son of Man, and it comes as you and I believe, trust, and recenter our lives around this supreme act of sacrificial, self-giving love. See, life in the Spirit, life in Jesus' name comes through the giving of the Spirit of God and our cultivating that way of Jesus, that sacrificial, self-giving way of love. God works his will and way in us as we cooperate with him, as we join the dance of love. So can I ask you as we close, are you cultivating this way of life? Are you seeking to interact with individuals and situations with this way of Jesus? Or do you find yourself in the place of Nicodemus perplexed about the freedom of life in the spirit, saying, how are these things possible? Maybe this is where the breakdown is. And so wherever we might be this morning, each of us has this opportunity to respond to this offer, to look to the lifted up son of man. And as we look, to allow this to be a recalibrating look, You know, in Hebrews, we're told to consider Jesus. That word means to ponder, to drink deeply, to breathe him in, to contemplate who he is and what he's done. And so I want to invite us to do that this morning, to contemplate deeply the lifted up Son of Man, this supreme sacrificial, self-giving act of love. And as we take it in, as I said, to be recalibrated by it, to be sent out, changed, transformed by Jesus' act of love. To find this fullness of life, this freedom of life in the Spirit as we recenter our lives around him. Now, Jesus said, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in them. In this participatory act of taking communion, we are saying with our bodies as we get up from our seats, we're saying with our hands as we take the bread and the cup, we're saying with our mouths, with our stomachs, I believe, I trust, I recenter myself around you, Jesus. I drink deeply from you.
That's what we're doing this morning. We're saying, I want your sacrificial, self-giving love to be my life operating principle. So let's do that together this morning. Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And so, Lord Jesus, work in us your whimsical ways. Teach us your sacrificial, self-giving love. Give us life in your name. Be it unto me, be it unto you.